Well, good morning. I, I am always so glad to get to be here at Living Word. And it feels like it's been too long this time, you know, since I've been last here. But it's a joy to catch up with familiar faces, to see new ones as well. I get to bring you greetings as well, um, obviously from my own family. Karen and the girls send their greetings, and they're down the street at Mercy Hill today. But as well, I, I'm recently just back from India. Two weeks ago, I was in India, and we have brothers and sisters there who so value and appreciate the testimony and effort of this church. Uh, I'm going to be back in Zambia and Zimbabwe in about three weeks' time, and it's the same thing for our brothers and sisters over there. This church, for 40 years, has had a consistent history of reaching beyond itself and being such a blessing to this region, to this community, but also to the very ends of the earth, to the nations. And the seeds that have been sown from here at Living Word are bearing fruit literally all over the world. So I'm excited when we pray for our mission team that's in Madrid right now. And many of you have your own family members there, and it's beautiful. But we also celebrate that even today, this church has sent out people who are pastoring churches in other parts of this country, missionaries to other parts of the world. We've hosted, we've helped be part of something God's doing all around the world. And I just, it's one of the reasons I'm so thrilled whenever I get to participate here with Living Word. It's because God planted something here that's reached beyond this, own, this location and is bearing fruit all around the world. And, and our series in Luke, uh, we're in Luke 7 this morning, if you want to just jump ahead and get there. Series in Luke is on how God fulfills now things that he talked about before and how Jesus coming changes everything. And that's what this church has been walking in for these 40 years. And for many of us, we've, we've consciously, or maybe in some cases unconsciously, stepped into the story of what God is up to. And it can be hard to figure out our own place in that story sometimes, because it can seem like all the really exciting, great stuff is happening somewhere out there somewhere, or it's happening in other people's lives, whereas our lives just seem sometimes to be just dealing with the, the challenges of each day and the f- struggles that we face as we go through things. And in Luke 7, we're going to look, we're going to skip past a lot of miracles and we're going to look at kind of a challenging piece where the questions are being asked. What does it look like for me when everybody else seems to be getting blessed, but I'm through hard times myself? And I'd like just to invite us into prayer as we come to the Word of God and explore these challenging questions. Lord, we need your help. Lord, we, we believe you. We believe your Word speaks to us. And yet, God, we're, we're many times just trying to figure it out and get through it day to day, God. And we don't understand how, when you've changed everything, that sometimes it feels like nothing's really changed. So God, as we open up your word today, we open our hearts as well. But we ask that your spirit would speak to us, that you would not just instruct our heads, but speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, well, here's our context in Luke 7. Um, Jesus has been going around and, and he's doing some amazing miracles. And his miracles are more than simple blessings for individuals. They're a demonstration that heaven's king has come to earth. When Jesus does miracles, it's a demonstration that the kingdom of God has come among the people. And and there's tastes and touches here in the chapter, the beginning of the chapter, 
Jesus does a remarkable miracle for a Roman centurion. And this is kind of unexpected because the people of Israel view themselves as God's chosen people. We're the ones who should have the blessing. But there's a problem. You see, their nation has been colonized. They're actually under the overlordship of the Roman rule. And the Roman centurions are this constant oppressive demonstration that they're really the tail and not the head, that they are the ones who are the subject people rather than being the blessed people themselves. And here's a Roman centurion who's earned a good reputation with the Jewish leaders, and he's got a servant who is sick, and he's asking for Jesus to heal him. And people, Jewish religious leaders actually come and ask on his behalf to Jesus that they help this Roman oppressor. They say, he deserves for you to do this because he's done good things for us. But Jesus shifts the economy of how they think about miracles and earning and deserving from God. And he shows he just does it because of the kindness of God. And it doesn't matter whether they're Jewish or Roman or whether they're worthy or unworthy. It's that God's kindness overflows in his mercy. And then Jesus heals, he raises from the dead the son of a grieving widow. And it's a precious, it's a poignant moment because Luke describes Jesus' heart going out to her. And he stops a funeral procession and heals her son, raises him from the dead. And then we find uh, just a summary description from Luke in verse 16, that all the people are filled with awe. They're praising God because Jesus keeps doing all this amazing stuff. And now we're going to pick up the story in verse 18. And we're going to be looking at all that's happening through the eyes of a faithful believer named John the Baptist. You've heard of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the rock star before Jesus came on the scene. God was using him to bring a revival to the people, and he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and all the nation was coming out to be baptized by John. But John continued to speak truth to power, and he got on the wrong side of the king by telling the king that what he was doing was unrighteous, and John has ended up now in prison. And he sends messengers to Jesus with some questions because he's struggling. He's seeing all this other stuff going on out there. But in his own life, he's going through a really hard time. And Jesus takes time to reply to John, but his reply is more than just to John. He turns and he speaks to all the people who were there, and he's talking to you and me too, as he does. So let's read from verse 18. It says, John's disciples told him, told John, about all these things, all these things that Jesus was doing. And so calling two of them, John sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Verse 21 tells us that at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And so Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away 
on account of me? John's got some questions. And, and his questions, please understand, John's questions are springing precisely from the fact that he has faith, not because he lacks faith. John was convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed one. This means John has seen, he believes, he knows Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That God has sent in the person of Jesus Christ, God sent his Savior King into the world. But not everything that John's expected to come with that seems to be happening. And indeed, inasmuch as Jesus is coming, should have changed everything, it just seems like a lot of things really haven't changed at all. I mean, the Romans are still in control of the nation of Israel. This wicked ruler, Herod, is still in charge, and John himself is still in prison. And what's especially troubling about it is the very works that Jesus is doing. Because if there weren't any miracles, well, then it's easier for John to figure out why it's not just busting loose in his own life. But instead, what he's seeing and hearing, what's going on, all the stories that are reaching him, is everybody else is getting blessed. This is working for everybody else, except the things that I care about so much the injustice in our society, the overall godlessness, and the fact that wicked rulers are still having their way over the righteous. It's not getting addressed. Where's the kingdom? Are you the one who is to come? Because it's not living up to my expectations. So John has questions. And it's because when the Messiah comes, it's supposed to fix everything. It's the promise we've been waiting for. Right? And, and it's supposed to be the fulfillment. All of the things we've waited for for generations, certainly for our whole lives. The wrongs are supposed to be made right. And this is what Daniel prophesied. We saw it back in the book of Daniel, there's a prophetic promise that when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this rock cut out, not by human hands. It's going to crush all the kingdoms of the world. And the prophets have promised that righteousness will flow like a river. And righteousness and justice will be the foundation of God's kingdom. And evil is going to be driven out. And yet, why isn't it happening? Why, after Jesus has arrived, does all the wrongs still seem to be in control? And yes, people are getting healed. And yes, great things are happening. And yet, so much still seems to be broken. And for John, there's the very personal question. How come everybody else seems to be getting the benefits, and I'm just struggling myself. I wonder, maybe you're in that place yourself. Because it happens to us too, that we're struggling and suffering. Right? Maybe you're struggling and suffering because of injustice and evil. You feel like you can't get ahead just because you were born with a darker color of skin and the deck stacked against you. Simply the results of sin in this world and the way that your parents did things have now affected your chances going forward. Or your boss took you out of that promotion and now your job's gone backwards instead of forwards and you thought you did everything right. And why should you be suffering for that? And you know that Jesus is supposed to make wrong things right. And yet it seems like the wrong 
still has the upper hand. Why are things so hard? And you quietly question, can it really be real, all this stuff about Jesus? Because he was supposed to make it right. And it still seems like the things we care about just aren't getting fixed. Because here's the question underlying John's inquiry. If Jesus is really the fulfillment of all these kingdom promises, why does it just seem like things are going on like they've always gone on? Well, thank God, you know, Jesus doesn't mind our questions. He's the right place to go with them. He's the right, right place to go. And for John, in his time of imprisonment, when he's locked up, he's in the darkness, he's questioning, he is distressed, he is despairing. Do you know where he goes? He reaches out to Jesus. That's where we go. That's where we reach. He's like, I can't even get there myself, but I'm going to send these these guys. And they go to Jesus to ask, what is going on? What's it supposed to look like for me to believe in the midst of this? And Jesus gives him an answer. And the answer that Jesus gives John, it's really quite revealing, I think, for us. Because there's layers in Jesus' answer. And to really appreciate the the substance of what Jesus is saying, you want to run back a bit to Luke chapter 4. Because Jesus is kind of bringing a litany back in his list here of what you see in here that evokes a scripture from Isaiah that Jesus himself read in Nazareth back in Luke chapter 4. And I think we've, we've got that here. Let's take a look here. It's where Jesus is right at the beginning of his ministry. And Jesus' ministry is is following two profound events in his own life. The first is that for Jesus himself, he went and he was baptized by John. And John didn't want to baptize him. Because John's understanding of baptism was, we baptize for repentance, to acknowledge our sin before the Lord to humble ours and say, God, I'm wrong. Your ways are right. I'm turning back to you. And Jesus came to him to be baptized. And John was like, whoa, I don't have any business baptizing you. If anybody's be baptized, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, it's not really about sin. It's about righteousness. It's about me submitting my whole life to the Father's will. And so let's do this to fulfill all righteousness because there's something in baptism about submission that I need to do. And at Jesus' baptism, the most profound thing happens, and we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the whole Godhead present, three in one, as heaven opens, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form as a dove, and a voice from heaven speaks, this is my Son whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. It's a profound moment of heavenly affirmation for the Son of God on earth, isn't it? Okay, who knows what happens next after the baptism? The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Hello. The anointed one moves from his moment of anointing into testing, trial, trouble, temptation. And it's coming out of that season in the desert that Jesus goes and goes into the synagogues at Nazareth. And in chapter 4, he takes the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he begins to read. And here's what it says. He went into Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's what Jesus is echoing back to when he sends his answer with John's messengers. He says, go back to them and tell them what you've seen and heard. And he runs through this list of the good news being preached to the poor and the blind receiving sight and the oppressed being released. And so I thought as a visual aid for us, uh, I just let us see the comparison here. Because this is what John's messengers are taking back. Jesus says, go tell him what you've seen and heard. And it's almost like they're running a checklist together over what was promised. Because Luke 4 talks about the promise from Isaiah. Luke 7 is Jesus saying, just tell them what you see and hear. This is what's actually happened. So good news to be preached to the poor. Check. Yes, Jesus said, I'm doing that. Well, then there's recovery of sight to the blind, right? Yes, the blind are seeing. Jesus, the Luke chapter 4, the Isaiah prophet says the oppressed are going to be released. And Jesus gives so many examples of that. He says that the lame walk. He says the le- those who have leprosy, they're cured. That the deaf hear and the dead are raised. There was another thing on the list in Luke 4 that Isaiah promised. That when the Messiah comes, the spirit of the Lord would be on him to bring freedom to the prisoners. Jesus doesn't mention that when he's giving his answer back to John, who himself is in prison. And so I imagine to myself, John listening to the messengers when they, when they come back to him. And they say, wow, Jesus is doing all these amazing things. And he, he said to come back and to tell you what we see and what, what we hear. And, and Jesus listening to the, John's listening to the list his anticipation's growing because they're going through it. Yes, the dead are raised and the blind receive sight. And John's like, yes, this is right. He is the one. And he gets to the end of the list and it's like, and the good news is preached to the poor. It's like, wasn't there anything else? I mean, he's not done yet, is he? I mean, come on. Jesus had, he had something more to say, right? And, and the two messengers, like, they're looking at each other. Uh, I mean, I, I think we covered everything he said. Did, do you remember him saying anything else? Did he say anything? Oh, no, no. Don't remember anything else? John's like prompting him at this point. Did he say anything about freedom for the prisoners? Mm, prisoners. Anything about freedom? No. Blind, yep. Leprosy, leprosy. Cure leprosy. And the dead raised. You know, I heard there was this woman in the funeral for her son, and Jesus stopped the funeral, and the dead were raised. No, I'm asking, did he say freedom for the captives? What about the prisoners? Mm, no, no, don't remember mentioning that, that at all. Wait, hold on. Wait, he did say one more thing. John's like, yeah, what, what was it? Blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. 
see what's going on? Jesus is giving John an answer. It's a challenging one. He's saying, oh, yes, I am the one. I'm the very one that you expected. But I'm not doing everything the way you expected me to. I am the one. But blessed is he who doesn't fall away when I don't live up to your expectations. Blessed is he who holds to me even when it's going hard in your own life. See, Jesus is underscoring that the kingdom has come, that blessings from heaven have arrived, that the rule of heaven's king has set foot on this planet and everything's changed. But for you and for me, not every blessing of the kingdom is going to come to us as an entitlement in the time and the way that we want it to. And suffering and trouble are still part of your life and my life, just as they were for Jesus, just as they were for John. It's such a challenging issue. Because Jesus is saying, blessed is he who doesn't fall away, not because of persecution making it hard, not because of all the things the Romans or rulers are doing to you, but blessed is he who does not fall away because of me. Because I don't do it the way you want me to do it for you. You know, this issue of kingdom blessings, having come but not always automatically coming into my life in the quantity or the frequency or the timing or the fashion that I want them to. It's so tempting to try to find ways to explain that away. Uh, we could say, well, well, this was before the resurrection, of course. But once Jesus rises from the dead, then surely that's going to take care of all of it. But brothers and sisters, it's not just a pre-resurrection issue. After Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, we see that his faithful disciples are going through these exact same kinds of struggles that John was. Herod puts both the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter in prison. You can read about it in Acts chapter 12. And Peter is miraculously released from prison. And Peter gets freedom from the captive, for the captives. But James is put to death by the sword. And it's not that one of them is more godly than the other. It's not that the church was praying harder for Peter than it was for James. It wasn't that Peter had more faith than James did. It's a mystery. And it's a challenging one. And Jesus' word is, blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. And it's not that Peter just had a get-out-of-jail-free card for his own life, because later in his own life, just as Jesus had specifically personally told him, he was arrested again. And that time, he was put to death. And there's a mystery in this. And in the midst of our struggles and our doubts and our questioning, Jesus calls us to himself. And he says, blessed are you when you hold on to me instead of giving up when things aren't going the way that you expect them to. And Luke puts a couple editorial remarks in the midst of this story that tip his hand for us. 
Because he's, he's like mostly holding back while he lets the story of John the Baptist's questions play themselves out. But Luke puts his own cards on the table right at the beginning about what Luke really believes. Because right at the beginning, Luke says, when John heard about these things, when John's disciples told him all these things, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask. Luke's making no mistake about who he thinks Jesus is. As far as Luke is concerned, this question of, are you the one who was to come or should we expect another? It's completely settled for Luke because he says that John sent his messengers to the Lord. He said, and when they came to Jesus, they said, John sent us to you. And Luke had his own struggles. Luke wrestled through his own suffering and these very challenging things themselves. But he's at a point in his life where he's writing down these stories and he's making sure to underline, as for me, I know he's the Lord. Despite my brothers who've been killed for the sake of the gospel by the evil Roman rule, by the persecution, despite myself ending up living as a, as a traveling itinerant person with, without really a home under my, you know, a roof over my head or a home of my own. As far as I'm concerned, he's the one. He is the Lord. And no matter our disappointments, no matter how we struggle to understand how it can all fit together somehow and I can't get our heads around it, Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you cling to me, even when you don't understand what's going on. It's a remarkable answer because Jesus does not offer explanations, but he does give assurance. He says in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the prison, he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And that, my friends, it's part of the manifesto of the kingdom, the very Beatitudes themselves. Blessed are you. And he says it simply here. Blessed are you when you hold on to me, when you don't understand why things are going the way they're going. Blessed are you when you don't fall away, when I don't live up to your expectations. Jesus doesn't explain to John some bigger purpose or meaning for John's suffering. Jesus doesn't unpack for us how God's wisdom all fits together somehow. Instead, he simply offers this simple promise. If we hold tight to him, if we cling to him, we'll be blessed. We are blessed. Blessed is he. When John's messengers leave, Jesus moves the focus and he keeps talking to all the people who are around him. Let's pick it up here in verse 24. It says, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? <laughs> it's almost comical, right? Because he's referring to how they, these very people had at some point not too long before left their businesses, left their houses, made a priority of going to seek the Lord down by the River Jordan in the desert to be baptized by John the Baptist. He says, okay, it's, it's not a reed swayed by the wind. Well, if not, what did you go out to see? Was it a man dressed in fine clothes? No. No, and he sets up this contrast. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury 
are in palaces. And he's highlighting that John's ministry was not the kind that brought him worldly success. Didn't bring John prosperity. Instead, he was dressed in camel's hair and uh, eating the locusts and honey that he could find in the desert. But what did you go out to see? Verse 26. A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Jesus is saying, let me ask you a question. What were you doing back then when you went out to see John and be baptized by the river? Were you out there to see a show? Just a performer? Because he's such a good spectacle to go here? Or were you going to meet with God? What was driving you? What was motivating you? Were you going there because of something you thought would entertain you? Something you thought would bless you? Something you thought you were going to get? Or were you going out there because in your heart you knew you had to meet with the Lord? Were you stepping out there and going because you were desperate to hear from God? He's asking the very people who've come around now to hear him. And there's a danger for us that we can start with a sincere hunger to meet with the Lord. But then it just turns into kind of a, a routine or a spectacle. And we start to expect him to be doing more and more for us in the process. And when it doesn't live up to being as exciting or as fulfilling as we thought, well, we'll go on to other things. But Jesus takes us back to the desert. Jesus takes us back to say, why did you go out to the desert? Was it to meet with the Lord? And he asks us that question. Are we coming to meet with him? Are we coming for a show, a spectacle, or just to get something? And because he's saying in verse 28, this one, this one here, who had not a dime to his name, who didn't have any nice clothes, didn't live in a nice place, and is now in Herod's prison. He's the greatest one. And there's something in the kingdom that brings even greater greatness for the least of these. And Luke now, Luke inserts again one of these editorial comments in verses 29 and 30. Listen to this. It says that all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged that God's way was right. Why is that? Why does Luke say they acknowledged God's ways were right? What's he say? It's open notes. Because they what? They've been baptized by John. Now, on the other hand, but the Pharisees and experts in the law, they rejected God's purpose for themselves because they'd not been baptized by John. And here, Luke does not have tunnel vision right now on just the words of this moment in these few verses. He's talking more broadly about the overall teaching about the kingdom that Jesus brings here. And he's saying there's a dynamic at work in how we receive and embrace God's purpose for our lives. And the litmus test, how you can tell, are we embracing or rejecting God's purpose for us? It's going to come down to this issue, repentance. It's going to come down to what do we do with the call to repentance? Because when John the Baptist shows up, 
to prepare the way for God's king to come into our lives, into our hearts. He comes and says, repent. Turn from doing it your own way. Acknowledge God's ways are right and humble yourself and submit to the king. And Luke is making an editorial observation here. He says, when people get that part right, God's purpose goes forward in their lives. But when we hold back and we balk at the issue of saying, God, I'm wrong, you're right, we block off God's purpose for our lives. And his context for bringing that is right here as Jesus is calling us back to the desert, as Jesus is calling us back to why did you go out to hear the word of the Lord? And the answer for us has to be because we're willing to surrender, because we're ready to stop living it our own way for ourselves, and we're desperate to meet with God and do it God's way. And Jesus doesn't stop here. He goes, on in verse 31. He's talking to them, but he's talking to us. And he says, to what then shall I compare this generation? They're like children playing in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, a mournful funeral song, but you didn't cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon. And the son of man, that's Jesus talking about himself, came eating and drinking, eating bread, drinking wine. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Here's Jesus' challenge to us. need to stop expecting God just to dance to our own music. He says, what do I compare all of you guys to? This generation, it's not unique to that generation, it's us. He says, you're like children playing in the marketplace, saying, dance to my music. If I play a happy song, do happy things for me. When I'm feeling sad, then do it my way. And Jesus says, look, John the Baptist came the way God called him. And you thought, he's off his rocker. And now I've come a different way. And you say, you're not even holy at all. And he's challenging us that we can't keep expecting God to dance to our music. We've got to go back to the desert. Come back to that place of embracing the purpose of God for our lives through surrender and repentance. This is Jesus' challenge to you and me. Let's not expect God to dance to our own music. Let's not demand of him that he fulfill our expectations. Oh, guys, I'm freshly reminded our perspective is so limited. It's like we're trying to figure out what God's doing, looking through this foggy glass, and we just can't see it at all so clearly. And we try to make bargains with God, And then we blame him for not holding up his end of some bargain that we constructed ourselves that we imagine that he's obliged to agree to somehow. Friends, here's what God has done. Like Jesus saying, go tell him what you've seen and heard. Here's what God's done. God himself came down. He came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we see, Luke is very plain. He says, he's the Lord. This is who Jesus is. And somehow, contrary to every human expectation, 
Jesus Christ laid down his own life for us. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree so that we die to sins and live for righteousness. And somehow, to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the power to become the children of God. Children not born because of human will or any accomplishment of our own, but born of God. He brings us into his own family so we know him as father, so that we live with him forever, and he comes to live us and to dwell in us. And he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And this Jesus, he's coming back. And he's coming back in power and glory with all of his enemies made a footstool for his feet. And all the wrong, he's making right. And in that day, his kingdom will be fully come. It's a glorious day. And today, we cling to this Jesus Because this day that's coming is a day when the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Where every nation, language, tribe, and tongue hears and knows that God has sent a savior king named Jesus. And there is life and hope that's in him. And this Jesus has bought and brought the forgiveness of our sins. He is the hope of the ends of the earth and he is your life and my life today. And blessed is he who does not fall away. When the the situations of our lives are not lining up with the way that we feel like it should be. When we struggle and and we call out to him and we say, God, why? And we don't hear an answer to why. We just hear him say, but I am the one and I'm with you. Friends, this is not abstract, theoretical stuff for us. This is the daily reality for many of us here. It's very much the reality for our brothers and sisters in India, Zimbabwe, and Zambia, and many parts of the world. And it's an invitation for us because Jesus is calling us to come close to him, to make sure that we don't start by having gone out to the desert to meet him, but then wanting to just settle into a palace in luxury and have it all good thereafter. No, instead, he calls us back to the very reason that he called us at first which is to surrender ourselves to him and to let God be God in our lives. As we close this morning, the worship team's gonna be coming back up. I wanna invite us into just some minutes of prayer here. Just some time for us to address with Jesus the very things that he's talking over for John the Baptist and for you and I to let God be God. And, And to begin by repenting of expecting God to dance to our own music. Repenting means that we have a change of mind, a change of perspective that changes how we think and how we act. And it means for you and I that we lay down our demands of God and we surrender our lives to him. Friends, the miracles are real. If they weren't real, it'd be simpler in some ways. But the miracles are real. The blind see, the deaf hear, Those who have leprosy are cured. This is profound for me because two weeks ago, I was visiting three different leper villages in India. And the reality is so rich and so real that God heals today. And yet, many of us are struggling with illnesses that aren't healed today. And the reality is, yes, he heals. Yes, he is the one. The kingdom miracles are a reality. And yet, they're not our entitlement to demand of God 
and to expect that they automatically come to us just because. No, instead, we come to Jesus. And as we come to Jesus, we come open-handed, open-hearted. We get on our knees and we say, I surrender myself to you. And as, as Luke describes here, in doing that, we embrace God's purpose for our lives. And secondly, as we pray here, I want to say, let's ask God to help us open our eyes to welcome and celebrate what God is actually doing. See, it's John's sticking point, And Jesus puts a fine point on it for him. He says, go tell John what you see in here. And let him know not to get stuck on the part that he's not seeing. John, don't get stuck on the part you don't see. Celebrate what I am doing here and now. And let's ask God, God, help me. Open my eyes. Let me rejoice when I'm seeing others being blessed. Let me rejoice in the areas where I do see your hand at work and help me to give myself to cooperate with you in what you're doing. And thirdly, let's cling to him in hope and in trust because that day that's coming, it's certain and it's sure. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, we, just, we come to you right now knowing that there's so much we don't know. God, and just admitting, Lord, our own hearts hurt and get tangled. God, and we cry out and we say, God, it doesn't make sense that when we're looking forward to a great wedding supper that we struggle with divorce in our own households and families. Lord, that when we celebrate you as healer and the one who has defeated death, that we go through sickness and we mourn and we do funerals. Lord, we don't understand how your coming changes everything. And yet it seems like so much is the same. But Jesus, we cling to you. Lord, this morning we repent of our internal demands that you do it on our terms, in our way, at our time, in our rhythm. Lord, set the music and we'll dance to yours. Lord, we ask, open our eyes, dear Jesus. Open our eyes to be able to see, discern, and celebrate where your hand is outstretched, where you're displaying your goodness and your mercy and your glory in people's lives. And Lord, we cry out to you, God. We give ourselves today for the sake of that day that's coming, God. Lord, that the systemic injustice in our society would be broken down, God, and that righteousness would flow like a river. Lord, that the strongholds of sickness and death would be fully and finally defeated. Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.